This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to mum in minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto. It's May 5th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Hollywood is on strike. Around 11,000 screenwriters have put down their pens and picked up a placard instead after negotiations between the Writers Guild of America and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers over a new contract broke down. As writers take to the street, the strike is set to impact most film and TV shows over the coming weeks and potentially months as it drags on. So what do writers want? And are the big film studios likely to give in to their demands? Today, on the front page, New York Times entertainment reporter Brooks Barnes joins us from Los Angeles to explain what this strike means for your favorite shows. Brooks, is there a visceral sense of anger and frustration when you talk to the writers striking right now? I think there was a sense of inevitability that this was going to happen. The talks were not going well. I was surprised, however, when I got out there on the picket lines to talk to writers, how angry they really were. This was not a situation like in 2007, the last strike, which I also covered, where they kind of felt like they were going through the motions. These people are mad. And I think that probably means a long strike. It means that they're willing to stay out as long as it takes. Yeah, Brooks, that 2007 strike lasted for 100 days. So how economically damaging was that when you reported on it? Estimates for that strike uh, on the cost of lot to the Los Angeles economy was about $2.1 billion, I want to say. And that takes into account sort of everything around the entertainment business. It's not just the studios. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of small businesses that serve the industry Costume dry cleaners, lumber yards that provide materials for sets, florists, chauffeurs, you know, all of the things that come with Hollywood. And so the cost can be quite considerable. So given that we produce so much more content these days thanks to streaming, do you think that the costs could be even worse when we factor in that? Peak TV, as it's become known, the big increase in television shows because of how many streaming services there now are, it's a little confusing because even though there are many more television shows, the length of the season is much shorter. So in the United States, the typical season of television would be 22 episodes, even 24 episodes on one of those traditional shows. Streaming crunched that down to as little as six episodes. What it sounds like a little bit is that you have a case of feast or famine for these writers. So they'll go through periods where they're incredibly busy and then they'll go through periods where they're really quiet. So it almost feels like the gig economy for writers. Screenwriting... All of these professions has always been an unstable profession, right? You're at the whim of Nielsen ratings and executives who decide they want this and not that. (laughs) But what the screenwriters are saying is that with the streaming services coming to the front and center, the way that they're paid has not evolved to reflect that. (laughs) 
years ago, we were out on the picket line because they were saying they didn't know what new media was. They didn't know what it was going to do. But recently, a show I created was canceled. And the reason they gave me was that it wasn't doing enough numbers in streaming, even though it was doing strong on the network. So streaming is everything. And we make nothing in residuals on streaming. We make something like 4% of what we used to make in residuals on network. What are the writers exactly asking for? What do they want to see? So there's sort of a galaxy of requests. At the center, there are a couple things. One is streaming royalties. So in traditional television, a writer gets paid for writing the script. And then every time that episode is resold to an overseas television network onto DVD, you know, every time a new business comes along, a residual gets paid. That forms the foundation of screenwriting as a solid, as a stable profession. You're getting income even in between jobs. So it's largely about stability. They just want to see some level of stability. Some level of stability. So in between, you know, let's say you're writing on a show that gets canceled after the first season. Okay, it happens all the time. You then look for a new writing job. It may take you months, even a year to find that job. But hopefully you're getting checks in the mail from your previous work. That's been the basis of this profession for a very long time. So what they're fighting over with residuals and streaming is it's not based on how popular a show is. They have no data on viewer metrics, right? So what they want are Netflix and Amazon and all of the big streaming services to tell them how many people are viewing these series, how valuable they are really. So they can base a residual payment on that. So it's actually getting a glimpse behind that walled garden. It's something that a lot of people have been calling for, even beyond the writers. Absolutely. And that is something that the big tech companies absolutely don't want to give, but it's something that would change how that residual payment is made. That's sort of at the heart of what screenwriters are saying when they're saying they're turning us into gig workers. We don't want to do that. We want a more stable system like it has been in the past. If a writer's strike happens, that would shut down production on a great many shows. Been through this before in 2007, 2008. It was a very long strike when I was working at SNL, and it was really miserable. And it doesn't just affect the writers, it affects all the incredible non-writing staff on these shows. And it would really be a miserable thing for people to have to go through. What does this mean in the short term? Which productions have been immediately affected by the shutdown? So immediately, the late night talk shows Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, The Late Late Show, you know, those went dark. Some daytime television shows that relied on writers have gone into repeats immediately. The next phase will be TV shows that are in production currently, but have had a banked stockpile of scripts. The next thing that stops are productions when they run out of scripts. And then beyond that, you obviously can't start a production that has no finished script. Brooks, in the last strike, the late night shows came back writerless. Do you see that as a possibility, depending on how long this one progresses? That's definitely a possibility. Late night hosts started getting a lot of pressure from their other workers and themselves. (laughs) Their own paycheck, their own bank accounts were were going down. And that mattered in a couple cases. Jimmy Kimmel, one of the hosts, for example, was paying his team, his staff, out of his own pocket. So it's definitely possible. It's always interesting when that happens for viewers to find out just how unfunny some of those people are without their writers.
I see one show that is still going ahead is House of the Dragon, given that the script was turned in before the strike. The king has an heir, Daemon Targaryen. I will not be made to choose between my brother and my daughter. How could the ongoing strike affect a show like that, despite the fact that it's still going ahead? That's an interesting question. That one does have scripts that are prepared. Oftentimes, you have writers that are on the set. You know, something happens in a scene, something's not quite working, you know. I feel like these lines are jumbled, an actor might say. (laughs) And so you have someone who is there in the moment, smoothing. And so it's definitely possible that when shows start coming out, that are in production, viewers could notice that. They did in the last strike, for sure. There was an extreme version of that, the James Bond film, Quantum of Solace. I need to know that I can trust you. And you don't? Well, it'd be a pretty cold bastard who didn't want revenge for the death of someone he loved. You don't have to worry about me. I'm not going to go chasing him. He's not important. And neither was she. Daniel Craig had to write parts of the script in the middle of filming the movie. So, I mean, could we see that play out again? Or do you think that Hollywood is better prepared in 2023? Hollywood is no better prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To talk about the movie studios for a minute, they have stockpiled scripts, definitely. But it's not a set and done thing often. It's something that's fluid. It requires rewriting in the moment often. Do you think that this will ultimately affect quality? Are we going to see a bunch of rushed, half-written films being released rather than the finished product? That's definitely what happened in 2007. And there's no indication that that won't happen again this time. Although when you talk to studio executives, there's definitely a, well, we don't want to do that again. But it's something that when push comes to shove, when you have a release date and investors and Wall Street breathing down your neck, you start, you know, making the decisions you have to. We hope you're finding this episode of The Front Page insightful. Follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more premium coverage from our top writers, head to nzherald.co.nz slash premium to subscribe. Given that the writers are essentially the people who come up with the blueprints for these amazing worlds to be created, why is it that Hollywood continues to undervalue them so much? It's fascinating, right? How is that possible? They create everything. And I'm not just saying that as a writer. It kind of gets to the culture of Hollywood forever. Going back to the earliest days of the movie industry, writers have been viewed as sort of extra you know, when movies started and these companies date back to then, there was no talking. So they didn't really have very many writers. I mean, they had some that did the outline of screenplays, of course. But then when the talking pictures came, they imported a lot of writers from New York and other places. And that legacy lasts today, which is you're replaceable. We can find somebody else you don't like it, there's always someone else we can we can get to type those words of yours. It, it's a real toxic part of the culture. And that's part of why you see the writers union striking with much more regularity than any of the other unions. The writers have gone on strike seven times now over the decades, double the number of times anybody else. It's also unique in a creative industry to see so many people unionize. And this must be a product of the massive insecurity that they have in the workforce. The word gig worker has become popular, but it's kind of always been like that. You go from one production to the next, and that dates to the end of the studio system when the studios employed everyone just on staff all the time. 
Given that that last strike lasted 100 days, what did writers do to sustain themselves during that period? Writers can do a few things. I mean, the union helps to some degree. It's hard. You, They have to make decisions about how to spend their savings. Some writers wrote copy for advertisements that isn't covered in the union contract. Basically, when they're on strike, they're not supposed to be working, at least in their chosen profession. I'm striking because everybody that struck before us, that's why we have health insurance. That's why we have residuals. That's why we are a union and we have a pension. So it is our responsibility to do this. And we are just asking for what is fair and what is right. Brooks, I understand that convening a mini-room is one way that the streaming era has dealt with writers. Can you explain what that is and how it can prepare a show but essentially undercut the writer? Sure. On the picket lines yesterday when I interviewed writers, utter the word mini-room and you would get sort of a fire-breathing dragon (laughs) (laughs) from any of these writers. Not the good sort of dragon either. Perhaps not the HBO uh, Game of Thrones sort. So a mini-room is slang for a small group of writers convened prior to a green light for a show. So in the old days, 10 years ago, five years ago, networks would make a pilot episode, a whole episode that would sort of be proof of concept. Do we want to move forward with this series or not? That was expensive. And so what streaming services started to do, in particular Netflix, is hire a small group of writers called a mini room, for write a writer's room that would then sort of bang out a rough arc of a season. The characters will do this, you know, maybe a few of the plot lines will do that. And then that ends. That may take 10 weeks to do. And then the streaming service will say, okay, well, now should we give this idea a green light or not? Sometimes not. That work then goes nowhere. And if so, they then hire many fewer staff writers because they already have a leg up. Crucially, the pay for a, quote, mini room is much less than if it was an actually greenlit writer's room. So you're doing a very similar form of work, but you're being paid far less for that work. Correct. It's, again, that sense of not valuing the creative product that's being produced by the people who are essentially the ghostwriters behind everything. And it goes to this question of respect also. The writers see the CEOs of media companies making unbelievable paychecks. They see Wall Street valuing the creation of these streaming services. And then at the same time, they see the companies, unfortunately, doing what companies do, which is trying to pay less for the labor. David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, which is, you know, the parent company of the network I'm talking to you on right now, was paid $250 million last year, a quarter of a billion dollars. That's about the same level as what 10,000 writers are asking him to pay all of us collectively, all right? These companies are making enormous amounts of money. Their profits are going up. I literally know writers who have had to go on assistance because they have not been able to make their year. Brooks, when you look at that relationship between the writers and the big streaming services, which major shows do you think are going to be kicked back or delayed because of this? One big question is Abbott Elementary, which is a big hit here. I'm ready to take the year on. I've got it down. These first graders won't know what hit them. That's enough. Make your voice deeper. That is enough. My work is done, Padawan. That is at risk because it's on a broadcast network. Those shows are in hiatus right now. So if a strike continues and those shows can't start production, then their fall debuts, the whole fall season, if you will, starts to get threatened. 
Brooks, are other writers in the US worried at all that Netflix might just be tempted to go to the international market and find other writers? Absolutely. The international option is real. And it's not just that they would get other writers overseas to do the same job. It's that Netflix has built this apparatus where shows that are created in South Korea or England, obviously, or you know, any in any place around South America, they then show them in the United States and they often become hits. The thinking is that, well, if our cupboards run dry because of a strike, we can just rely more on those overseas productions. How has the Producers Guild responded to these negotiations and the strike? Did they offer a deal or are those negotiations still ongoing? The talks broke down on Monday. The studios have not said a whole lot. They've relied on a spokesman and sort of terse statements. They say that they offered what they called, quote, generous increases in compensation, but their priority in these talks has been to you know, be mindful of the long-term health, I think is their wording of the industry. And so what that really means is we have two more big union contracts coming up soon, the directors and the actors. Those contracts both expire June 30th. And so the studios don't want to give the writers raises because they'll have to give everyone else raises. So they're fighting the writers because they recognize that there's a bigger battle coming further down the line. That's one reason, yes. Hi, I'm Ashley Ray, and I am a member of the Animation Guild. I am supporting the Writers Guild of America because I think writers deserve a living wage. I'm fighting for my own future and for any writer out there, for the kids. Brooks, if you had to take a guess how long the strike would last, what would it be? And do we need to start preparing ourselves for some terrible television in the coming months and years? Some listeners might think, how much more terrible can it get? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, yes, the talk has now turned for a few weeks now. I said a strike was a little bit inevitable. The talk has turned to how long will a strike last? And there are a few scenarios. The minimum seems to be into June. When a union goes on strike, three weeks is sort of the minimum when you're creating pain in the other party. So one scenario is, you know, they've got these this actor contract and the director's contract. The studios could make a deal with them and sort of undercut the writers. And perhaps that brings a strike to an end. That's maybe the most hopeful. The middle range is into the fall. And beyond that, you know, no one really knows. The last strike happened in November. And the only reason that really came to an end as quickly as it did is that it started to threaten the Oscars, the all-important Oscars. And so some of the Hollywood bigwigs sort of got together and said, okay, let's figure out how to solve this. Thanks for joining us, Brooks. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in on Monday for another look behind the headlines.